Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoy today's message. Shabbat Shalom. It's always good to see you, especially on the Shabbat. That, uh, you know, with this headset, I could have been the new coach at the University of Oklahoma's football team. I declined because they have their games on the Shabbat, and I said, I just can't be there on that day. My wife is talking to my son and daughter and said, uh, your dad's going to speak on Shabbat. You want to come up and listen to him? They said, no, Mom, sorry. We've already heard all of his sermons. <laughs> said every one of them begins with don't. So uh, they politely withdrew. And so uh, I've turned this service over to the Ruach HaKodesh that he may have his will among us uh, to do, to hear, to say what he wishes. You know, Scripture says there's a time that he's going to depart, that he's going to be withdrawn in the last days. So we welcome the Ruach HaKodesh in our midst this morning. You know, uh, we live about an hour south of here, <clears throat> small town called Elgin, Oklahoma. And uh, as we travel to Oklahoma City on Interstate 44, everything is, uh, you know, usually pretty calm. And then we cross the Canadian River and things get crazy. You know, uh, I don't know why that they put turn signals on cars anymore that because it's every man for himself. And are you kidding me? Yield signs? You know, that just means get out of my way. And then, I guess when I was coming from the gym on, on Thursday, I saw a car without a driver going down Rogers Lane. And I said, well, now... Who am I going to tell this to? You know, if I tell Christopher, he may believe me. If I tell Ricky, he may believe me. But there's going to be a host of people that said, yeah, right. So I sped up just to make sure. And I sped up, and the car did not have a driver. But on the right-hand side was a steering wheel and a driver. Apparently, that was an English car with a little fellow sitting in there dressed as Englishmen do and driving on the right-hand side of the road or the right-hand side of the uh, car. 
And I said, you know, that, that is a welcome sight because I'm not sure how that I could present this to anybody else. They said, yeah, right, Shelby. The Shabbat. You know, back in the day, as they say, there was a Greek governor asked Rabbi Akiva, what is this day you call the Sabbath? Why is it more than any other day? And the rabbi responded, why are you more important than any other person? And the governor responds to the rabbi, I am superior because the emperor appointed me to be over them. And then the natural rabbi response, he says, the Lord God, who is greater than your emperor, has appointed the Sabbath day to be more important than any other day. And so here we are on the Sabbath. It is indeed a holy day. And it is the Lord's day. And in Isaiah 58, 13, 14, if you turn your foot, to the Sabbath, do not seek your own pleasure on my holy day. Because see, this was a gift. This is the day of the Lord. And out of love for people, he shared that with us. It says the Sabbath should be a delight. Call the holy day of the Lord honorable and honor the Lord by not following in your own ways nor finding your own pleasure or speaking your own words, then you shall delight in the Lord, and I will cause thee to ride upon high places of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Yaakov. In Exodus 31, 13, 16, 17, keeping the Sabbath is a sign to an unbelieving world that we are the people of God. Now, when people drive by Rosh Pina, going about their busy, busy schedules, and on this Saturday, this Shabbat, where the rest of the world is so busy, the rest of the secular world is so busy, why are all these cars gathered here? Do you not think that when people drive by that they see that? In every house of worship, of, of, of course, they say there are two Shabbats. Well, there's really only one Shabbat, and that is the Shabbat on Saturday. In the, event, the evangelical world, they say that Sunday is the Shabbat. But the Lord says, the first day of the week is what? Sunday, Right? Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday is the Shabbat. So when people ask, well, I don't know why you guys worship on Saturday. Don't you know that that's not the Shabbat? Well, let's turn to Scripture and where it says, thus saith the Lord, what the Shabbat is. He says it's a sign between me and you, not just on this Shabbat, but through the generations, 
the generations of the past and the generations of the future, that you know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you, and God's people will be known among the nations. You know, uh, in the evangelical world, that there are many versions of the Bible, many translations. But I can assure you that on this Shabbat, depending on what part of the world that you live in, every synagogue is on the same parish show. Every synagogue is in the Torah. Every synagogue is at worship. The letters in the Torah have never changed. They are the same ancient letters that existed from Sinai. So on this day, it's a restoration of the heart and the soul. It's a day of rest, a day of spirituality. Maybe that you've noticed when you enter the sanctuary or you come to Shabbat, doesn't make any difference what your problems have been. If you've lost your job or you don't have your finances or there's an issue in the family or you're worried about the political world going on, on today, once that we came in here and we shut that door, you're at rest. Those things don't bother you. Now, when you leave the presence of the Lord in the Shabbat and you go back out, then those things may resurface. So the Sabbath gives us time to breathe. You know, when you're in stress or a tragedy of some sort strikes, what's one of the things that you do first? <sighs> that deep breath. And on Shabbat, the Holy Spirit breathes upon you. You know, the word breath is throughout Scripture. Because when Hashem created a human being, all it was was just a physical, until he what? He breathed the, the life of breath into him. And therefore, you have a soul that resides within you. So this is a sign between me and you throughout the generations that you know that I am the Lord that sanctifies you. So sometimes there are questions about the Shabbat. You know, why do you go? You know, uh, aren't there all kinds of other things that you can do out there that's more fun and more entertaining and of more interest? I submit to you that there is not. In the presence of the Lord, in the house of worship, is where you want to be. Have an appreciation list. You know, uh, there's a lot that takes place in this facility. That this is over a 50,000 square foot building. And it has finances, and it has insurance, and it has maintenance, and it has electric, and it has schedules, and it has events, and it has classes, and it has outside grounds, it has dance, it has music, it has funerals, it has marriages, it has a number of things. And you know, uh, 
if you know the rabbi, you know he's a micromanager. He makes sure that all the commas and everything are in place and that he is committed to this congregation in Rosh Pina. And then Roy, for example, you know when we have business meetings, he always has those graphs that make all these complicated numbers and et cetera, summarize, and he shows you in a graph form where we are. Makes it complicated, simple. And then Kevin has a different presence. He has a presence of stability in the congregation. And then Ricky, you know, who's the head uh, Shomer, that... Uh, Unbelievable, all the things that Ricky does in this congregation. You know, Ricky lives uh, not quite as far as I, I do, but, but he's at least an hour west of here. And often you will see Ricky in here at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, closing the doors, locking the doors, do all of those things that other people don't realize that really take place. Then you have Dean, the engineer. You know, he makes all this stuff work that uh, my engineering skills are few and far between as are my mechanical skills. Turn the light on, if it doesn't come on, if it ain't a fuse or a bulb, I don't know. But here, that uh, I'm not sure how many air conditioners in central this that we have and central that that we have, but it's all running. Then there's the Shomarim, the watchman. And we're gonna get into a little more about the Shomarim the watchman. Part of their duty is to issue a warning to the people. And in Jeremiah 31, 6, the watchmen are telling Judah there's trouble coming. And we will get into that in a little bit. Then there's the kitchen. You know, everybody likes to eat. And you know, the kitchen is always functional and Kevin does a great job in there. And then the sanctuary is always clean. These are the unseen people. The ones that you never see. And, but then when you come on, on Shabbat, everything is neat and it's tidy and it's in place the way that it should be. We may not see it, those people. But you can bet Hashem does. He knows what you do. And that's most important. And so, uh, do we have disagreements? Oh yeah, we have disagreements and we have likes and we have don't likes and we have this and we have that. Well, why? Well, because people come here. And so I don't care if it's Boy Scouts or the ladies meeting or the, wherever it is, wherever people gather, there's going to be conflict. But here is a level of forgiveness. Sorry. Didn't mean to say that. You know, we can work this out. Don't let that be a burden. Don't let that be an obstacle. God will bless you. And he will. You know, uh, I would assume that this congregation is probably made up of uh, 80% former evangelicals that come from a lot of different backgrounds and a lot of different teachings. One of the most common teachings is replacement theology. That means, if you're not familiar with that, that the Christian church, the Anvetical church, has replaced Judaism and the Jews. 
Well, if you listen to that, uh, you know, in my background, you better have evidence because you're going to be in court and you're going to testify about that. So where's the evidence of that? And they'll try to tell us, well, there's the Old Testament and that doesn't count anymore. It's the New Testament. But you find me scripture where it says that there's two testaments. So uh, in Genesis 3, 15, 17, <clears throat> the Lord tells us in Genesis that there's a Messiah coming. But it's his destiny to sacrifice himself to cleanse you. That's Genesis through Revelation. There is no change. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. Rosh Pina, I think you would agree, is stable. When compared to the situation nationwide, there's a falling away. There's apostasy. Apostasy is indifference. You know, there's a scripture that says uh, you don't stand for anything. You're not hot and you're not cold. And I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. In all denominations, people are leaving the church. Even before COVID-19. And the decline has accelerated. Churches have become compromised, conformed to liberal services to increase attendance. See, you have to pay the bills. And today, with all these different houses of, of worship, if I say something here that's scriptural, that you don't like and it's offensive, you'll go to another church where they make you feel good. It's called the feel-good religion. Maybe we have put God and his laws on the shelf. And we only call upon him when we're in trouble. The rest of the time, his laws, his Shabbats, all of those things, we don't really need to listen to him about that because he's telling us things that we may not want to do or we may not want to hear. So we'll just put him on the shelf for a while. But when we suffer financially, and then the tithes drop and the membership drops, uh, records and polls say that baptisms across the nation has dropped 60%. The AP Norick Public Affairs National Survey says that 10 out, or 6 out of 10 Americans feel America's in trouble. Are you the 6 or are you the 4? Doors are closing. For sale signs are hanging. Bankruptcies. They can't pay their bills. And especially that you see a lot of small churches and a lot of small communities where the membership has, has dropped through age, through moving for jobs and et cetera, it's hard to keep the building running. And so they've begun to close. Public schools and universities 
There's a big push on curriculum change. Denominations are divided. Congregations are at war with each other over social issues, sexual identity, bathrooms, politics of Democrats and Republicans, the changing of the teaching, the biblical teaching. Rabbis, pastors, clergy are censored, pressured to conform to the new modern scriptural presentation. I have some Orthodox friends in New York and said that they hired a uh, new rabbi, but cautioned him, don't be too scriptural. If the ladies come in with short dresses and low tops, don't say anything about that. So there's a change, a modernization. So who stands up anymore? Who's standing up and says, thus saith the Lord God of Israel? Whether you're a Republican, a Democrat, or an Independent, or whatever, who is standing up? The silent majority has remained silent. What happened to thus saith the Lord? Detroit, Michigan, a denomination had 500 churches in its circle in 2020. That same denomination now only has 48 of the 500 that remain. Yes, really? Has America put God on the shelf and conducted forbidden practices while holding the Torah and the Bible in their hands? There's two new churches, by the way. Maybe you've heard of them. One is called the Church of Nice, most influential group in America. Everything is okay. Don't worry. Don't offend anyone with thus saith the Lord. They embrace the new religious agendas on marriage, sexual identity, abortion, anti-religious education in the public schools and universities and allow everyone to do their own thing. There's a scripture that says, do not allow detestable things in your house. And then there's the church of nuns. Well, I'm not talking about Catholic nuns. I'm talking about the church of N-O-N-E-S, the church of nuns. Fastest growing group, especially in America, that an example that they give, Natalie Charles, an 18-year-old freshman, Princeton University, felt unwelcome in her Baptist congregation with its conservative views, immigration, sexual identity, scriptural teachings, etc., and she's gone to atheism. Well, what is an atheist? It's a person who believes, disbelieves, or lacks belief in the existence of God or a God of any kind. And it's filled with agnostics, neither faith or disbelief in God. Embraces spiritual, but not religious. You know, uh, how often maybe have you heard people say, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. Now there's a tremendous move towards to blend Buddhism and Hinduism, rituals and altars, 
in dorm rooms and houses, and the rabbis referred to experiences he's had with that. According to the Pew Research Center, conducting surveys about religious identity, this group known as the nuns or the religious unaffiliated, fastest growing group in surveys regarding religious identity, now constitutes 30% of American adults. In 2011, they were 15%. That's a double. And most of them are from somewhat religious families. They have now the Secular Student Alliance with over 200 branches in public schools, universities. They believe that this current generation can be the first generation to become the first non-religious majority versus the majority religion. Growing up religious has a negative effect on emotional and sexual development, they say. The prophet Jeremiah, you know, often referred to as the weeping prophet. You know, when you have those visions from God about what is impending, sometimes it's too much for the human mind to comprehend. And so our... Is America following in the very footsteps of ancient Israel? The first sign, the first harbinger, is a breach of security. What was the first breach of security in the United States? 9-11. What was so important about 9-11? The World Trade Center, the financial backbone of the country. They say in, in many circles that uh, we aren't bound by the Old Testament. We're in the New Testament, the replacement. And to go along with that, Easter replaced the Passover. And December the 25th was the day that the Messiah was born. So is America under the same covenant of ancient Israel? And people say, no, there's a difference because there's a new covenant. But just like ancient Israel, do Americans stand up, their hand over their heart, and pledge the allegiance to the United States of America? And what's the next phrase? One nation under God. The legal system that we have as you raise your hand and or place your hand on a Bible and swear what? I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Who are you swearing to with the hand on the Bible? Our money has in God we trust. What God are we talking about? And that money travels the entire globe. Everybody in the world knew one nation under God was the foundation of America. Elected officials, presidents of the United States, place their hand on the Bible and swear an oath. So help me God. Are we under the same contract or the same covenant of ancient Israel? 
So now's a little bit of time for my watchman role. Jeremiah says, if when the watchmen give a warning, or if they don't give a warning, then the responsibility falls upon the watchman. If they give a warning to the people and the people ignore it or disregard it, then the responsibility falls upon the people. Hear the word of the Lord, God of Israel. He made a divine decision to bring trouble and calamity on the house of Israel and Judah and disregard their pleas for help and forbid the prophet to pray for them. Jeremiah was a little interesting. If you moved him today, he was famous for his struggles in his hometown of Jerusalem with the peace prophets, with the government officials, the king and his court, the military leaders and the economic religious leaders. And so the Lord told him to go to the gates and you tell the people these words. Well, Jeremiah had help. In the 11th chapter, 1 through 17, the prophetess Huldah, who was related to Jeremiah, spoke to the women. Zephaniah, who was the teacher of Jeremiah, went to the synagogues. And Jeremiah spoke to the men at the temple gate and on the states. This word came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand at the gate of the house, the temple, and proclaim this message. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who came through these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Reform your ways, your actions, and I'll let you live in this place. Do not trust in the deceptive words. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. This is the temple of the Lord. And he says, will you steal? Will you murder? Will you commit adultery? Will you commit perjury? Will you burn incense to Baal? And follow other gods that you haven't known. And then come into this house which bears my name and say, we're safe. We're safe to do all these detestable things. Has this house which bears my name become a den of robbers to you? But I have been watching, declares the Lord. And I find that it's from the least to the greatest, the prophet to the priests, they're all liars. Saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Don't worry, everything is okay. Jeremiah is a false prophet. God will protect us in this temple here in Jerusalem. Were they ashamed when they had committed the abomination? No. They were not ashamed at all. They could not be made to blush. You know, uh, there's, there's been a time or two that I have been invited to go to Branson and some other, uh, I guess you'd call it recreational places, and I've uh, all, always declined that. 
Because uh, to believers, when you see some of the things in those places and you hear some of the, the, the words and things that stream out of people's mouth, that you take that home with you. You don't leave it there. It does something to you. You know, and you think about it and you worry about it and you find it disgusting, but it stays with you for a while. What about all these movies, the commercials? You know, I was on the outskirts listening to a group of teenage girls, and the profanity that streamed out of their mouth was unbelievable. And so when the Lord said, Are, were they ashamed? They couldn't even blush because everything is okay. And he says, you foolish people without understanding, you have eyes, you see what's going on. You have ears, you hear about all of this, but yet you are silent. And he says, you fear me not? You don't tremble in my presence? I am the one that placed the sand for the boundary of the seas. You know, this planet is 75% water. It is by my decree that it shall not pass. Even though the waves toss themselves, yet they cannot prevail. They roar, but they cannot pass over it. I am Adonai. There is no other. What mortal, talking about uh, the eternal one, what mortal has ever heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the fire as you have and survived talking to the Hebrew people. From the day that God created human beings on earth, has there ever been anything so great that has ever even been heard of? Where else have we ever heard that a human being was created? And one of the two most important things that he gave us, the ability to love. That you have the ability to love someone and other people have the ability to love you. And then he says, has any other god or gods ever tried to take one nation out of another nation by signs and wonders? You were shown all these things. I am Adonai. There is no other. A couple of the mysteries of God. When Moses received the Torah, it was written by the finger of God on the tablets. In another sequence of anger Moses threw those tablets when he saw the worship of the golden calf and when those tablets hit the ground and were smashed the Midrash Rabbinical and the Talmud says but the letters return to God Daniel 6th chapter a mysterious hand writes a message on the wall of King Belshazzar's drunken party. 
And it says, he calls Daniel. Can someone please uh, interpret this? The magicians can't do it. The astrologers can't do it. No one in my court can do that. Who can do it? And they said, call Daniel. He's in semi-retirement, but call him. Daniel interpreted the mysterious handwriting on the wall. Babylon, the Babylonian Empire is doomed. That very night, the great Euphrates River changes course and the Medes come into Babylon. The power, the mystery, the love and the compassion of the great one. Jerusalem. What about Jerusalem? What are some of the modern miracles in Jerusalem? Because we know that the number eight is above what is normal. Modern miracles in Israel. And I urge you to keep your eye on Israel. Keep your eye on, on Jerusalem. There are, it's a dynamic place now. All kinds of things are taking place. So what is the miracle of Israel? As the Lord said, it will be resurrected. I will resurrect Israel. Israel was resurrected 73 years ago. There has not been an Israel for 2,000 years, but yet they thrive today. It is the key to the return of the Messiah. That's the linchpin. Until Israel is in Israelite hands again and they control Jerusalem. Why? Where's the Messiah coming to? Probably not Oklahoma City. Probably not Elgin in my little town. But he says he's coming back to Jerusalem. What about COVID? You know who the first vaccine came from? For the vaccination, whether you believe in vaccinations or not, that's the immaterial part of it. The scriptural part of it is Pfizer. The vaccine was created by a secular Jew whose family died in the Holocaust. He has no affiliation with religion at all. He creates, he's a veterinarian in Greece and rises to become the CEO of Pfizer. Benjamin Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel, is calling, this guy's a billionaire. He's calling him at two o'clock in the morning. You know, I don't know how many of you could call the CEO of Pfizer at two o'clock in the morning and say, hey, you know, we need to talk about this. Benjamin Netanyahu called him numerous times and he said, the hands of Israel, or Israel is in your hands. Send us the vaccine. What nation got the first 8 million vials of the vaccine? You're right, Israel. Out of the entire globe, how could that happen? Did it just happen out of, out of business when the vials could have been sold to millions of people? The population in Israel is 8 million. 
How did they get the first eight million? The conflict of the war with Hamas in June, 4,400 rockets were fired into Israel. Two fatalities. And they, they weren't even associated with the rockets. You know, uh, I'm not that good of a shot, but if I shoot at you 4,400 times, I'm going to hit you sooner or later. So what about this umbrella that was over Israel? Is it a divine intervention? Or is it just a coincidence? This may be the most dangerous time in the history of Israel. More dangerous than the Pharaoh of Egypt. More dangerous than Haman. More dangerous than the Nazis. It's the nuclear bomb. In the possession that has proliferated the world, and now Iran is that close. Iran has a doomsday clock, a big digital clock like in uh, uh, Times Square in New York. But it's time. They are timing the seconds, the minutes, and the hours until Israel is annihilated. A little divine intervention here. Uh, Israel is, is one of the leading technological uh, nations in, in the world. And I'm sure that you've heard about uh, cyber warfare. The clock shut down in Tehran. And they're all wondering, what happened to our clock? And then the electricity shut down. All the lights, uh, traffic lights and everything else shut down. And they're saying, oh, there's nobody that could do this but Israel. You know, uh, Israel is the center of the universe. All roads lead to Jerusalem. This is the most sought after piece of land in the world. Jerusalem. It's been destroyed twice, besieged 23 times, attacked 52 times, captured and recaptured 44 times. What is it about this place? It's the ancient consecrated city of God. Psalms 48, 1 and 2 will tell you. King David established Jerusalem as the capital of the Jewish nation in 1010 BCE. You can see it in 2 Samuel 6, 14 through 15. One simple word symbolizes Jewish history. Jerusalem. Jerusalem is prophesied to be the final throne that will be established in Jerusalem of the Messiah. This is my resting place forever and ever here will I sit enthroned for I have desired it. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, thus saith the Lord of hosts, I was jealous for Zion with great jealousy and I was jealous for, for her with great fury. Thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth and the mountains of the Lord of the host, the holy mountain. I went to Israel, I think it was in 2017, with some of you that are present was here. This 
country I read about all these years, I wanted to see it. I wanted to see the Western Wall, where it's prophesied it will never be destroyed. I wanted to see the Wailing Wall, as millions before me have been there. I went there as often as I could, touched it with my hands, prayed and put a powerful note into the ancient wall. I waited, but nothing happened. I mean, the ground didn't shake. Lightning didn't flash out of the skies. And I had left maybe a little disappointed. I traveled all this way to see you, and nothing happened. But it did. It wasn't until I got home. <laughs> you know, sometimes you don't realize things until after you get home. Well, I get home, and I became more serious than I had ever been. I started pouring over uh, 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 rabbi materials from the ancient to the present. I started pouring over scripture. I started reading books. I started doing all the, I wanted to learn. And my prayer was, Hashem, teach me. And he has. And then I think of his word. It says, you of so little faith. So what about Moses? We're in the uh, parashah. What did the Lord say about Moses? He described him. Numbers 12, 6 through 8. When a prophet of the Lord rises among you, I make myself known to him in a vision. I speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is trusted throughout my household. With him, I speak mouth to mouth, plainly and not in riddles. And he beholds the likeness of the Lord. Well, what about Moses, the servant of God? The Pharaoh decrees, God hears the moaning of the Hebrews. Have you ever moaned? Have you ever been so depressed, so hurt with some circumstances in, in your life that all you could do was moan? This moaning, God says, I hear the moaning of the Hebrews. The Pharaoh decrees the death of the firstborn males by drowning in the Nile. How does the Pharaoh's daughter know Moses is a Hebrew baby? I'll take one reply. Who knows how the daughter of Pharaoh knew this baby that was in this basket that was adrift in the Nile knew that this was a Hebrew baby? You look like my classes at the university, huh? <laughs> because he was circumcised. Not because of, as some say, the uh, Hebrew blanket, et cetera, that described, was because he was circumcised. That's how she knew this was a Hebrew baby. So God revealed his name to Moses. 
I am that I am. I will be whatever I will be. You know, there's a supernatural warfare that always goes on. And one of the things about all the calamity in the world today, the Messiah is closer. The magicians duplicated the snakes, duplicated the plague of the frogs, duplicated the water and the blood. There is a biblical rule that Hashem uses. It's called measure for measure. Whatever you measure out, that will be measured back to you. The 10th plague was different than the other nine. The 10th plague, the other nine, it was through Aaron and Moshe. The 10th plague, I will enter the land of Egypt about midnight. And I will slay the firstborn from the throne of Pharaoh to the grinding wheel of the slave girl and all of the livestock. There will be a loud cry. We're going to connect the dots. And moaning. Measure for measure. The Hebrews moaned. The Egyptians will moan. There will be a loud cry moaning as did the Israelite slaves in all the land of Egypt. There has never been or will ever be again. And not a dog shall snarl at any of the Israelites, man or beast. Can, can you imagine uh, two million people and all the moaning and the crying going on and no dog snarls? Tell the Israelites, slaughter a lamb at twilight, place blood on the doorpost, stay inside, lock your doors. Let the destroyer pass over you. And I will go through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn in the land and mete out punishment to all the gods of Egypt. This is spiritual warfare. All these gods, all these magicians, all, all, all these astrologers, your time has come. Pharaoh's army drowns. Where do we connect the dot? The drowning of the firstborn Hebrew babies in the water. Measure for measure. Pharaoh's army. And you know, the, uh, the magicians at this point tells the Pharaoh, don't you know? Can't you see? Egypt is lost and is doomed to never become an empire again. So what happened to uh, these two high-profile biblical characters, Aaron and Moshe? They disobeyed God where? At Meribah. Their disobedience. Why was this disobedience so important? Because it was public. It was in front of the nation. You know, there are things you can do in private and, you know, maybe a small group or, or, or so that, uh, you know, may not be so serious. But this is in front of the nation, the entire Israelite nation. So what happens? What's the penalty? Numbers 20, 29, the death of Aaron. The whole congregation of Israel came to Mount Or. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Aaron will be gathered to his people. He will not enter the land that I have given the Israelites because both of you rebelled against my command at the waters of Meribah. Aaron is the high priest. 
of the Jewish nation. Aaron will be gathered to his people and will die there. Moses did as the Lord commanded, climbed the Mount Or, and inside of the whole congregation, removed the high priest's garments from Aaron, put them on his son, Eleazar. The whole nation of Israel mourned for 30 days. And what does Moses say? Historic, biblically. And he's talking to the Israelite people. I taught you the decrees and laws of the Lord commanded me. The Lord was angry with me because of you. He solemnly, solemnly swore I would not cross the Jordan and enter the good land. I will die in this land. I will not cross the Jordan. Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord. But he says, if from there you seek the Lord God, you will find him if you seek him with all your heart and your soul. There's only one way, one path, and that's atonement. That's why that we have Yom Kippur, the atonement for you, your family, and the nation. Moses went up to Mount Nebo, the summit of Pisgah. The Lord showed him the whole land. I have let you see it with your own eyes, but you're not going to cross. The Mo Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab at the command of the Lord. What does that mean? That means Moses didn't die a natural death. Moses died at the command of the Lord. And he, the Lord, buried him. Has there ever been such a thing in Scripture? He buried him, and no one knows his burial place to this day. Moses was 120 years old and in perfect health. Never again did there arise in Israel a prophet like Moses. So now, in conclusion, you say, but you haven't said anything about Yeshua. Matthew 17. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. Remember back at Sinai where Moses' face shone like the sun and it was so bright that he had to wear a veil. And his clothes became white as the light. Just then, there appeared before him, them, Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. The connection, last connection, the Old Testament connecting the dots and the New Testament. The Messiah, the transfiguration. And the Passover, why is that important to you? Because as with the Israelites, the second death will pass over you. You've been forgiven. You have salvation. You have scripture. You have evidence. I've enjoyed my time with you this morning. I hope it has been uh, 
helpful for you. And if uh, Kevin would come up. Uh, if you have an obstacle or something that's a barrier, maybe between you and the Lord, move it. Release it. He'll do that for you. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pina Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 1040 a.m. each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.